Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So today is an epic guest. Like I've been trying to get Scott on for quite a long time and just hasn't worked out with deadlines and stuff like that. So today's episode is with Scott Bapti. So Scott has an MSc in sports nutrition and I'm a huge social media following. He's also an author and has transformed the lives and waistlines of hundreds and hundreds of people. And we talk about an awful lot of things in this and it's kind of get rid of the kind of like the bs information and we know that that's what we try to do on this podcast we know that's why we get the particular guests that we have on the podcast as well so we talk about why we are built to go for fat diets as humans we talk about how do we spot them we talk about the five biggest mistakes you see when someone is trying to lose weight and how to kind of work around those about long-term strategies that we build and implement with our own clients to kind of aid that journey. We talk about set point theory, which is a bit of a, a, a us kind of getting a little bit nerdy, what it is and does it play a role in the way that some people have written about it and what it is in the research and stuff like that. We also talk about do we as humans make dieting harder or is there something else at play? And then we also talk about why do why do we as humans sometimes believe that we'll be happier at an X weight on the scales and how do we actually reduce this mindset of things? So I would highly recommend listening to this episode over and over again. I really, really would because it's it really, really does help to kind of decipher the, the, the BS that's out there. And Scott has an amazing book out um, and has been out for a while, which is 101 Ways to Lose Weight and Never Find It Again. And I would highly recommend Scott openly talks about the difficulty he had in getting this published because it wasn't a quick fix. It wasn't a uh, one of these things that is a sensationalist headline or whatever it may be. And it's hugely, hugely beneficial. So I'd highly recommend give Scott a follow, go buy the book and give this episode a listen. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode with Scott Bapti. Scott, how are we, sir? Very well, mate. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you so much for coming on. I know it's, uh, I, I wanted to get you on for a while and I've, I've listened to your podcast for years. So, and uh, the, the books and everything. So thank you so much. So Scott, I'm going to get you to do a little bit of a kind of like elevator pitch. This is where people get put under pressure to kind of talk about themselves uh, to, Describe how you got it kind of into the industry, what you're about, and also the books and kind of like the podcast. And now you've stopped it recently. Cool. Well, I suppose the whole elevator pitch is I help busy people lose weight by eating healthy, high protein, family friendly recipes. <laughs> so, okay. uh, I, yeah, uh, I'm a sports nutritionist by trade. I've got a master's in sports nutrition. I used to work uh, a lot with professional footballers. Um, but now it is 99% uh, people trying to lose weight and just be healthier and get fitter and so on. Uh, how did I start out? Uh, it started as a blog. And when I was in my early 20s, just posting about stuff I was doing in the gym and recipes and so on. And then um, was able to get super shredded and got on the cover of Men's Fitness on a couple of occasions. And inside muscle and fitness and did some fitness modeling and that sort of thing. And then, yeah, did a podcast that you mentioned, written some recipe books, and here we are. Have you found your own perspectives changed since you did the stuff for men's fitness? Oh, my God, yeah. So <laughs> I was on a podcast uh, with a buddy of mine a couple of weeks ago, and that's almost all we spoke about was, was the difference. Um, the main ones being sort of time available and, and using time more effectively now because back in the day when I was doing uh, the fitness 
modeling stuff, I was in the gym at least five times a week um, and loved it. Like that was it. I was like, oh, oh, I cannot wait to go. That was all I wanted to do. Rest. I hated rest days because I just wanted to go to the gym. I just spent my time on bodybuilding forums, <laughs> reading all the magazines and, and so on. And now uh i've got a daughter i've got another one due like next week married yeah. have a dog live in the country you know 30 minutes away from the gym so it's very very different now to back in the day yeah different perspective i think there's a lot i think i think there's a lot of people i know i spoke to jerry alton and he was kind of like it's a very different way of life for him now in relation from going from that high end kind of like bodybuilding kind of almost realm and then you kind of realize your perspective change when kind of the kids come come along um, and that was one of the big things. But I think the big things are kind of like you help busy, busy people. I think there's an awful lot of uh, BS out in the in the world uh, in relation to training and nutrition. And I think one of the biggest things out there at the market, at the minute that's pushed on everyone is the relation to fad diets. Can you explain like why we are actually built to go for fad diets and how do we actually spot the bullshit basically? <laughs> So my pal Gordon Greenhorn describes fad diets as food avoidance diet. Uh, that's how he says it's an acronym, uh, whether it is or not, whether he just made that up, I don't know. Um, but we'd say, yeah, that the fads are generally the ones when people cut out uh, specific foods or, yeah, there's like an individual food or food group to blame uh, and they should have lots and lots of another type of food or food group. Um, they often promise rapid results like six pounds and you know six hours and the only way you got to do that is like cut off a limb um and you know big focus on supplements and meal timing and all this kind of shit that doesn't really matter <laughs> that's not important um and why do we go for them because the the marketing is often good and, and a lot of the language used you know speeding up metabolism uh, you know, buzzwords like like using fat burners and 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 superfoods, it sounds appealing. Uh, and often we people go for those kind of diets when they don't, not through any fault of their own, understand the basic principles of how we gain, lose, and maintain weight. And that's one thing that I'm sure you do as well. Is right at the beginning when working with people, we explain how that happens. We explain the basic principles of of calorie deficits calorie surpluses and, and and maintenance calories. And when you understand that and how we store and, and lose body fat, we can then start to view these other diets a lot more critically and think, well, is a low carb diet work because we don't eat carbs or does it work because we consume fewer calories as a result of eating less carbs? And they go, oh yeah, probably that, right? Intermittent fasting, am I losing weight on this because I'm skipping breakfast or is it because I skip breakfast, I consume less calories and create calorie deficit. Oh yeah, there we go. So yeah, a little bit, <laughs> bit of a tangent there, but that that's a fad diet. Yeah, and I and I love that kind of the 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 whole food uh avoidance diet is what what fad is. And but how do we kind of spot them and how do we kind of educate people to kind of avoid them in relation to like parting with their hard-earned money? Because we are humans we want the easiest route there's reasons why some like facebook and instagram and all them are hiring smarter people to find quicker ways to do something to get to our dopamine hits and all this kind of stuff how do we or someone listening to this kind of spot the bullshit well if something sounds too good to be true it probably is 
Um, so if something promises you some kind of mad results that you've not heard of or you've not believed possible before, that's probably not legit. Um, if it's got some form of celebrity endorsement, again, not always the case, but often that is it. If there is, um, if they tell you any certain supplement is essential or it forms a large part of the program, uh, then it's probably a fad. Um, if they tell you you have to cut out any kind of foods without scientific reasoning behind it, like you're allergic or intolerant to it, or you can't afford it, or you can't buy it in your country, then that's a fad because there's no reason why you have to cut anything out unless it does fit those criteria. Uh, other ways to spot fads. Uh, that's probably the main ones, to be honest. Yeah, th- those are the key ones. Yeah, I think the, the two are good to be true. It's kind of like me rubbing a card against my bald head to get my hair grown back. That's the way I kind of look at fad diets. Um, <laughs> that's the it's 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 the best example I can think of in relation to kind of like the the biggest mistakes you see and have seen clients make in the past with kind of trying to go out and start to lose weight. One, I don't think a lot of people know where to start. But where would you see the five biggest mistakes that you'd see someone when they're trying to lose weight? Um, so it's funny we spoke about for the listener listening to this uh, we spoke about this briefly off offline and you won't see this because we're talking about it but i have some notes in front of me because <laughs> i wanted to make sure i nailed this one and didn't just waffle so i would say the five biggest mistakes number one being uh, and we've got, kind of touched upon some of these already one would be unnecessary exclusion so you the only thing you should exclude is unnecessary exclusion, meaning don't cut out something unless you absolutely have to, because the moment you say, I'm not going to eat chocolate or crisps or sweeties or bread for the next 30 days, all you've got to do is think about those foods and want to include them. So rather than say cut out, we would just say cut back. Um, So rather than having chocolate every day, we might just have chocolate on days when you work out or hit 10,000 steps or um, you have one square of chocolate after your meal rather than a Snickers because you're hungry. Uh, Number two would be unrealistic timeframes. So if you are, again, this will vary depending on the amount of of weight someone has to lose. Um, But generally, you'd look at one to two pounds or half a kilo to a kilo a week. Um, yes, it can be faster if you are carrying a lot or more excess body fat than than some others. Um, number three, sing, um, sole reliance on scale weight. So scale weight will go all over the place. Um, people think it's like linears and it will consistently drop every week and so on. That won't happen. A um, whole host of things affect scale weight, stomach content. Um, if you had a salty meal the day before, um, you know, where you are in your monthly cycle, if you're female, um, hydration status, so many different things can affect the weight on the scale. And people think, oh my God, I've gained a pound, or I've lost a pound. Whereas if you use other methods of measuring progress, like um, measurements, using photos, um, looking at progress inside the gym, for example, or you're getting stronger rather than just looking at what happens on the scales. Um, Mistake four is trying to do something that didn't work for you before again. So if you are trying to lose weight again and you have done the cabbage soup diet in the past, it probably didn't work for you. Hence, you're trying to lose weight again. If it did work for you, we wouldn't 
be having this conversation. You wouldn't be thinking of another approach. So if you tried something like low carbing and you hated it, don't try and low carb again. Um, there are lots of different ways to skin a cat. Uh, and number five, uh, big mistake is, <laughs> this is what I've actually written down, doing shit that doesn't make any difference. So this is more like focusing or m- missing the forest for the trees and, and micromanaging. So things like, okay, I've got to, or, or worrying specifically about when they eat their protein thing. Oh, I must yeah. have a protein shake after the gym rather than being more concerned about total amount of protein they eat per day or worrying about how often they eat and how those meals are spaced out rather than being concerned about the total amount of calories they're eating that day or worrying whether they should supplement with a multivitamin or vitamin C on its own when they don't eat five servings of fruit and veg a day anyway. So yeah, it's it's focused on the big things in terms of like hierarchy of importance when trying to lose weight. We'd say like number one, you must create the calorie deficit, otherwise it doesn't work. Make sure you're consuming sufficient protein, and making sure that you're consuming a wide range of nutrients, um, vitamins, minerals, hitting sufficient fiber, staying hydrated, so on and so forth. And then as you go like Farther up the pyramid, then there's little things like, well, maybe try meal timing, like space your protein and take out over five meals and little things like that. But it's the basics, like 80% of your effort will be on the whole 20% of, of things that actually work. Yeah, I like I like the whole thing of like don't sweat the small stuff. Um, if you're not kind of really doing the basics. But one of the things you said there about kind of like the scales, there's two sides of this. And I'd be interested to see where you said of like, if the scale is impacting your mood, do you encourage clients to avoid it completely? Or do you encourage clients to kind of go down the whole point of it's a metric and get them to understand the metric? Obviously, person dependent. Um, but how, how would you approach it with someone who is having not understand the fluctuations with the scales, whether it potentially be around digestion or time of the month, which is the biggest one? Yeah, I suppose it, it does just come down to knowledge because if you understand those things that you mentioned that we've yeah. mentioned before, you won't be concerned about um, scales going up and down. Um, one thing that that I love today is I've got a, a group running at the moment of um, women who are losing weight. It's specifically going through the menopause. And a lady commented in, in the group today saying, the best things that happened to her this week is that uh, some of the rings on our hand and our watch are sliding around all over the place and they never did that before. Uh, and that's just, you know, a measure that you can see and you can feel. And you're like, who cares what the scales say? This is a different yeah. method of progress. So I suppose, yeah, there are definitely different um, circumstances like w- using the, the fitness modeling example back in the day when I was cutting for something, I would weigh every day and then take the average um over the course of the seven days, rather than saying, you know, day on day, individual days, because if I, like I said, had a big carb rich, salty meal the night before and then weighed in, would be different to compare to if I was on a lower carb day before, being the gym, then weighed in and so on. So I took the weekly average, but telling some people to weigh every single day would be absolutely terrible and might make them more anxious. Again, like you said, the very beginning of that question, it's really person dependent. And would you encourage someone to avoid it completely? If obviously if they have an eating disorder, avoid it. Like and get and go and talk to someone to get the, the help that and support that they need. But if someone hasn't got potentially an eating disorder, is coming from say a certain skimming club background, as I call them, um, and they've been kind of potentially shamed for 
being on being going up in ways or high five when they've gone down in ways. How what would you well that would be the potential approach there? Yeah, I would agree. I would probably ditch the scales. There's a whole thing as well that I talk about, and it's focusing on the process and not the outcome. Yeah. Um yeah. being like people are, are are so focused on oh, how much we have I lost this week, how much we have I lost this week, rather than saying if you focus on the, the process being like did I eat protein at breakfast? Did I cook meals from scratch this week? Did I exercise three, four times, whatever it was? And if you practice these uh, healthy habits and you do them day in, day out, you will reach the outcome and achieve the outcome goal anyway without necessarily worrying about it. So it's like when we're telling people that like you and me, ways for people to lose weight and get healthier and so on, if they do what we say and if we can help them, then weight will happen. But they have to just... Again, trust the process and focus on these behaviors rather than just thinking, okay, great, I've lost 10 pounds, what next? Yeah, the, the process is the biggest thing. As you said, trust the process. But sometimes the difficulty can be getting that buy-in because it's so outcome-based. It's kind of like, well, if you're saving for a mortgage for a house, you know you have to consistently save in order a month for a year, for five years, 10 years to get that mortgage eventually. It's the exact same thing with weight loss. Yeah. It didn't take two months to put it on it's going to take a longer time to potentially take it off depending on how much weight the person has to, to kind of lose as well so what are some of the long-term strategies you can kind of implement with clients to actually age their journey is it kind of like what you said already about kind of focusing on the processes or is there any other tools that you have in the arsenal that you can kind of give to clients yeah so continuing that theme of weight trying to sort of break it down into 30 day sprints um because if you if someone say they're again if someone is adamant that they want to lose two stones, it's quite a big goal when they think about it and they, when they look at today and how long it will take them to lose two stones if they lose one to two pounds a week. But if they focus on, well, in the next 30 days, I need to lose between five and 10 pounds. In the next 30 days, I'll do the same and same. So breaking things down into 30 or 90 day, day goals seems to work for the long term thing. Um, making sure that the things that they, are doing in order to lose weight, they will continue to do in some way, even when they reach their goal weight. So that would be something like uh, simply just like making sure the foods that they're eating at the moment, when they get to their goal weight, okay, they might increase the quantities of certain things and decrease it and so on, but they're not suddenly going to say, oh God, I can't wait to get to my goal weight because then I'll stop eating broccoli. Like, well, let, let's not eat broccoli in the first place. Let's start focusing on other foods that you'll actually enjoy. Same with exercise. If they're saying, I absolutely hate doing these home hit workouts. There's no way I'm doing them again when I get to my goal weight. Say, well, let's just ditch them now and focus on something else. Can you just go for a walk? Can you go to classes? Can you go to the gym, get PT or whatever? It's that idea of, of creating lifelong healthy habits as opposed to going on a diet. I think that's the difference is when people have this sort of on-off switch dieting mentality, like you go on a boat, you come off it, you start a book, you finish it. That's when you start getting into that whole cyclical issue of going on this diet for a period, losing a lot of weight, gaining it back again, going on and, and, and never achieving lasting progress. Whereas if we can just play the longer game and focus on, on the things that are sustainable, you're not going to have to start again. And that's the thing we're trying to teach people is, is psychologically at the beginning, say, look, if we can do things right now, this will be the last diet healthy thing you'll ever need to do. But we need to do these things first so you can start, you know, building upon it and so on. 
I like that boat analogy. I think that's I think that's quite useful for someone to actually envision and kind of actually look and say, right, this is what the actual process and what's actually going to entail. Do we as humans actually make dieting harder for ourselves, or it's or is it hard enough already? I'd probably be on the fence. I'd probably say that dieting hard enough already. Yeah, it is really hard, and there's so many different factors um, with our control or things that we don't realize that have an effect on our success when it comes to dieting, like socioeconomic factors, the how you were brought up, the weight of your parents, um, your 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 availability and, and the, the budget you have to spend on food. So many different things can impact, if you look at it, has an impact on how someone can gain or lose weight. And then there's things that we aren't aware that affect us. Like, I mean, an example I use, there's a study done showing that in households where the, the cereal box was kept on the counter in the kitchen, the average weight of the household was heavier compared to when the cereal box was in the cupboard. I know you can say correlation causation, they're not yeah, the same, yeah. but there were just other little things about, and also if there's um, a, another study showed if there's a bowl of fruit with at least two types of fruit in it within something like six feet of the kitchen door, the average weight of the household is less than if it's not there, which is, again, you're thinking, well, again, that could be a coincidence, but it seems to be, if I use the example, if you're watching the football at night and you're hungry and it's halftime, you go to the kitchen, like, I'll just grab a piece of fruit because it's there. Versus if you have to hunt in the cupboard, yeah, you're less likely to do it. And that's another thing I've told people saying, okay, if you've got crisps and, and sweeties or whatever in the house, because you've got kids or a partner who doesn't have the same goals as you, just put them outside, out of mind, you know, put the back of a cupboard, stick it in the garage, somewhere else. And people think, oh, that won't work. It does. It's like the smaller plates one. Oh, if I have a small plate, you'll just fill it up with more. No, you won't. Small plates <laughs> works. Oh, what, what's it? It's uh, Brian Wansink has a great book uh, about kind of like the psychology behind certain things. And he talks about having the fruit out and creating your kitchen for yourself. And each room is associated with something. So if you're eating in your bed, it's kind of messing up your psychology yeah. of what you associate the bed with. If you're in a uh, all-you-can-eat restaurant, you're better to have your back to the food so that you can't see it. But if you're facing the actual face to the to the actual uh, food, you're going to be one of those people that sees other people going up and almost a challenge yeah. to like out eat them. And yeah. that's where the, the the problems can lie. But the psychology, like, like, I'm can't, I, I can't remember the name of the book, but Brian Wansink is the. Well, it's, it's funny she made because those were the ones that I mentioned from him. Yeah. But a couple of years ago, he got done for fudging a lot of the studies. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> A lot, um, the, there was this whole huge review done of a lot of his papers looking at ones that were legit and ones that just didn't add up. Uh, and yeah, it was quite controversial. So referencing him, you have to be careful. I'm hoping that the ones I mentioned, you mentioned, are the ones that got, you know, the green light and weren't one of the ones well, that like, oh, no, just made it up. I think the fruit one, I think, makes a lot of sense. I always say to clients, like, put it beside the coffee machine or put it beside the sink when you're going to go for a drink or whatever. I like thought, yeah, it's just going to be walking past it. And I think Same if, in offices as well, it's a good one. Like, if you, you know, have a small office and you always say, oh, you know, my colleague's always bringing cakes and fancy pieces and so on, it's a nightmare. I say, well, in the, the, the break room, get a bowl of fruit and have the stuff there so that, you know, it's not just yeah. a cake looking at you. Exactly. And I think it's also important to like actually eat in the kitchen rather than bring it up to your desk all the time. 
yeah. and, uh, and have the cup of coffee, either potentially sit, stand outside for two minutes or whatever it is yeah. and kind of book that into the day is, is hugely important. Or else go and walk and get your cup of coffee. Yeah. That could be... Uh, be mind- what you said of not eating at the desk, there's a lot of stuff looking at that and the mindfulness of eating in, in terms of maybe the, the probably are studies done, but the ones that I've seen are comparing people eating their dinner in front of the TV versus eating yeah. at the table. And they'll eat less when you're at the table because you're more aware of what you're eating and you're, 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 you're listening to your hunger cues rather than just watching, you know, what Uhtred, Uhtredson is doing on last kingdom while eating your dinner and not having a clue what's happening. Yeah. No, and, I, and it is a big thing. And I think it's, it, it's, it's important if someone's listening isn't it, and they're a parent, they're kind of like your kids are going to mimic that. So if you've picked up habits or negative habits from your parents, you're potentially knocking them onto yours. So I know one of the things my parents always made sure was that we all had a family meal together every night. It wasn't allowed in the kitchen or wasn't allowed in the living room. Um, mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that definitely stood uh, to myself in relation to going back to the scales. One of the big beliefs that can be out there is in relation to, I'll be happy when I hit X amount on the scales. How do we dissect that? And how do we actually reduce that? How do we talk to ourselves around kind of moving away from that element of it? Because I think it's easy for us to do it as, and say it as a coach, but I know from having done cuts and you've done cuts before, the scale still does play a mind trick with yourself, even though you know the psychology behind this. But how did you take, kind of talk yourself out of it yourself? Before I do, let me just turn my heater off. I'm in this yeah. small office. <laughs> there we go. Right. Um, so I can give a personal example on this one. And when I competed in a natural bodybuilding show 2013, I was fairly confident of what weight I would need to be at the start of the 16-week cut. And I had this weight in mind. And then when I got down to that weight, I was not lean enough. I'm, I'm looking at myself, I'm like, I need to keep going. But I was thinking, no, I can't get, can't lose any more because X amount per week is blah, blah, blah. But the mirror and wasn't lying to me. I was thinking like, who cares what weight I am? I am not lean enough to go and do this competition. So I had to keep going and keep going and, and lose more body fat and weight as a result. So... I then use that as a story to, to explain to people that unless you are competing in a weight-restricted sport, um, like you're a jockey or a fighter, then the scale weight doesn't really mean anything. Like, who cares what the weight in the scales is? It's more important about how you feel in yourself and how clothes feel on you um, and just your, your confidence and your idea, your perception of, of what your ideal body weight and figure is really, you know, what do you look like? What's your ideal compared to, oh, I'd rather be 10 stone. Well, do you really want to be 10 stone? Or do you think that you have this idea that 10 stone means you'll look a certain way and you'll feel a certain way and you'll perform a certain way and so on. But it is very difficult because we are just like you said earlier, just conditioned to this idea of God, it's weight. It's all about weight and you're great if you lose weight and oh get kicked out of your club if you gain weight. So it's, it is difficult. How do we address this? I don't know. Just, I think doing what we're doing, giving people the best information, teaching people about the mechanisms of how they lose weight, showing people other methods to track progress, teaching them all about, uh, you know, adherence and compliance tactics and so on. Keep trying to fight the good fight. It is. I, 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 
it, I think the truth is kind of coming to the the top, but I do think with the likes of social media, like you see so many things on social media. Um, I can't remember what he's promoting. The 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 massive jacked guy with the beard, I over with the backwards cap. I can't remember what he's promoting. Carnivore diet or something. Oh, like Liver that. King. Liver King. That's the one. Um, but like it's too easy to kind of go to the extreme on socials and kind of get that grasp and get that kind of like media grab and all that kind of stuff and credit to him. Like he's built an, an empire and stuff like that, but there is a moral compass that he'll, he will get his ass bitten at some stage. Yeah. Um, Moderation's boring. That's the problem. Yeah. Moderation is unsexy. Yeah. Yeah. And I had this problem. So I released a weight loss book in 2019 called 101 ways to lose weight and never find it again. It was hard to get published because it was this idea of moderation. It wasn't like 101 fat burning foods you must eat or 101 reasons why the keto diet is the best. It, like, it was totally off trend to what was popular. And we did eventually got published, but it just wasn't that. And they kept saying, oh, maybe we can include some of this. Or you could, I'm like, no, I'm not going to just fill this with garbage because it sells like that's the whole problem with a lot of books on weight loss is that they are sensationalist yeah and using studies that aren't relevant to the people that they're aiming the book for or are very small population sizes or just simple cherry picked data um so yeah, it is hard. And like I mean, say when you read the news, when you you're reading stories about nutrition in, in the in the newspapers and so on, it's not stuff about balance. It's not like, oh, you know, eat 10 servings from veggie day. It's like eat these five muscle boosting foods, but you know, that kind of just crap. So yeah. Yeah, I'll talk about the media. I think there's something come into the UK yesterday or today in relation to the calorie counts on menus. Well, yeah, I got this is a total, total boast. But uh, the Radio Scotland phoned me up this morning and asked if I could go on the radio this morning and talk about it. But I already had a call, so I couldn't make it. Um, but yeah, I hadn't heard of it until this producer phoned me at eight o'clock, said, can you come on the radio at nine and talk about calories on menus? I'm like, what about them specifically? But, um, yeah, I, I saw that. And it's, yeah, in uh, in England... Uh, and Wales, I think as well, that chains that... So my initial thing was thinking, God, of all restaurants going to have to do this? Like small, if you're just coming up with that menu that day, are you going to have to go and work at the calories? And it's, you know, in restaurants or chains that have over 250 staff or something. So yeah. looking at ones that do have the the less variable menu. But uh, no, I would have gone on and said it was a, a horseshit idea. So <laughs> I, I I would probably agree with you. I know there's kind of like some people are like, oh, it, it, it's it's beneficial. But I think what I've realized anyway from coaching people over the last, particularly the last kind of two and a half, two and a bit years in relation to kind of during COVID and stuff is a lot more people are struggling with food and relationship with food and emotional eating, all that kind of stuff. And the last thing they need to see on a menu is calories beside it. Yeah. And even, yeah. even then, right, if we've, if there's this perception that fewer calories is better and you look at a menu and go, Right, so this chicken, vegetables, oh, whole grain flatbread, blah, 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 is 600 calories. Well, the ice cream's 400 calories. Cool. <laughs> I'll just have the ice cream. <laughs> like, mm, ice cream is great. Well, less calories, but different effect on the body. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I do think, like I always say to my clients, like, what do you actually want to have when you go into the restaurant? 
not what you think your friends want you to have what do you yeah. what do you actually th- want to have because i'll always re- use the quote from the simpsons you won't make friends with salad uh, <laughs> and, and and soup isn't a meal it's a starter yeah i do this thing if people are um like a simple rule i call it a two from four restaurant rule and if you imagine the menu is broken up into four components an alcoholic drink a starter main course and pudding if you go out for dinner and you're trying to watch what you're doing then just have two so rather than having a drink a main course a starter and a pudding just have two just have a, a starter and a, and a main course a main course and a pudding a beer and a burger and that's just a simple simple rule of just keeping the calories down it's a really simple idea it's 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 it's, it's quite clever um one of the things that i think is kind of coming to the fore i know um there's in particularly on kind of like the the emotional eating spectrum intuitive eating should i say is in relation to set point theory um and i think this is where the sciencey nerds come out in us so this is a little bit of a, for us more than anything but can you explain what set point theory is whether it actually is a thing and does it play as big a role as we actually believe so it is and it isn't uh set point theory the simplest definition you might have a better one is the idea that your body wants to maintain a similar weight like if you try and lose weight then your body will fight against it until you back up to where you were or conversely if you consumed more calories than you would normally your body would burn more of them in order to bring you back down to where you are which to a certain degree can happen like when you do start to um, reduce your calories then your uh, your resting metabolic rate and so on. your overall amount of calories that you burn does decrease because your body will try and conserve energy and that's one of the things like you know when we say notch up your meat try and just be a bit more active and fidgety to try and offset this reduction in calories or, or decrease in calorie expenditure that's one of the things when people say oh, I'm not losing weight not realizing that whatever they've worked out for their calorie allowance or calorie requirements it changes depending on their progress and how their weight changes and conversely you look at some studies that have shown uh, and this was done in a metabolic lab so it's not based on self-reporting it was on controlled feeding and they were giving participants an extra thousand calories on top of what was calculated as their maintenance calories um, and not all I think the minority actually gained weight most of them didn't gain weight because they ended up burning more calories as a result of consuming more but then you start looking at this idea of set point as well, saying, well, you can see that people can lose weight and they keep it off. People lose a lot of weight and keep it off. Versus also people can gain weight and keep gaining weight and struggle to lose it. So set point that he doesn't make sense in that respect. So I looked at some studies on it and the, the conclusion, uh, I've got this actually written down, I took it here, was that, yeah, humans do not have an external set point. Uh, and meaning like our, our body fat level is predominantly controlled by energy balance. And I know we talked about there being other factors at play, but we are essentially in control of how many calories we eat per day and drink. And we also have a, a, a large degree of influence over how many calories we can burn depending on how active we are. And where is that kind of like, where is the kind of that kind of movement or that kind of ideology coming from? Like, has it been around for a very long time or is it something that's kind of last 20 years? I'm not sure. I, I don't know the history on it, to be honest. But I remember talking about it when 
when I was doing the fitness stuff, I thought I had a set point and I kept a low body fat for a long, 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 long time. Um, but then now my body fat or weight is about five, six kilos heavier than it was when I thought I was at this set point level. And it has been at this level now for several years. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about it. I think it's one of these terms. I don't feel that the general public need to be concerning themselves about it. I think if we do understand, again, talking about education, we're explaining that your the amount of calories you do burn is a moving target. Your maintenance calories is a moving target. Often it's just an estimate. Um, and realizing that, again, it, the whole, if you do go out for a big meal or you, you quote, quote, blow your diet, you, know, you have a cheat meal. I hate that term, but you know, people use it. It's not suddenly going to mean those extra 2000 calories, it's not going to go boom, pound of fat. Like, yeah, there's a high chance you'll use more of them up. You might have some great workouts for the next couple of days if your glycogen is much higher because you've been on a low carb diet before and you've just nailed a load of carbs. It's not, doesn't suddenly eradicate or erase all progress. If you were, to, uh, as, a, as a parent, if you were to go into a school now to give a talk, to the next generation where would, what would be the first thing you would start talking about it regarding the <laughs> we didn't do it <laughs> i wouldn't do it um too much pressure or just yeah i i think i'm more concerned about teaching my family how to eat better uh and yeah i, well, I know okay i wouldn't do it but there would be things i'd talk about and it would be talking about focusing on foods you can eat um, as opposed to talking about any kind of reduction or exclusion. Focus more on the things you can have. So let's eat more fruits and more vegetables and, and so on and so forth. I read this extract in a book that was, um, was in the news. It was Matthew McConaughey's wife had released some book for eating for kids. And it was all saying, and she was using examples like, oh, when I my kids ask for a muffin or something, I make them read the, all the ingredients on the back. And if they don't know what the ingredient is, we talk about it and then go make our own one. And you're like, you're teaching your five-year-olds to start scrutinizing, you know, food labels. You honestly think that's healthy? It's I didn't understand a lot of five years of age, so I'm hardly going to know what a satsuma is. No. Like, yeah, that's not a conducive. Like, I'm all for getting the kids like for encouraging parents and clients that I have that are parents to get their kids involved in the meals and get them involved in cooking time. Cause that's some of my happiest times with my own, yeah. my grandmother and stuff, making the brown bread. I make that I like, that's a happy time. Yeah. Uh, Cause they're going to remember that, but yeah. getting them to scrutinize what a label when that's just projection onto the child. Yeah. The child doesn't really need that. Yeah. I think it's interesting to say that you, would, you wouldn't do it. Uh, it's the first answer I've had when I've, I've only asked that maybe three times, but it's the first answer that's kind of said I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'd like to be like to be grown up in this generation with the whole social media initiation side of things. Yeah, I find that for our daughter, so she's uh, going to be three in July. We don't say, oh no, you're not, you know, not getting sugary cereal, you're not getting sweets, you're not getting. We don't say you're not allowed anything. But if she just came to us like just now, three o'clock in the afternoon, or can I have a bit of chocolate? Like, no. <laughs> it's in the afternoon. You're hungry? Yeah, okay, right. Let's have some fruit. Let's have a decent snack. But it was like after dinner, we've all eaten our tea and we're having a coffee and she's like, oh, you know, can I have a Terry, there's Terry's chocolate orange in the fridge? Like, can I have a piece of chocolate? I'm like, yeah, of course you can. There you go. 
Yeah, but it's, it's, it, it, the wording really does matter. Um, yeah, I'm not going. Oh no, it's it's sugar. It's 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 toxic for you. Don't eat. You know, it's just garbage. Yeah, well, I, I think that's coming from your own educational background as well, though. I think that's that's an important thing, and I think I think that is it's a massive barrier that's out there. Um, like nothing was taught to me. I think I think is Peppa Pig now harping on about seven a day in veggies and fruit. At least that's inclusion. I one hundred percent. But yeah. Peppa having to get a fictional character, a cartoon, a talking pig to tell to tell the kids what to encourage them and how to educate them now. But it seems to be improving the way but i don't think i ever had that when i was growing up it was like that pyramid that food pyramid thing is the only thing i can actually remember yeah i was given an example that when i did home economics when i was in was it second year of school so i would have been thir- 13 14 maybe no can't be four, 13 and we cooked pineapple upside down pudding right oh, nice. do you know how many times i've cooked pineapple upside down pudding since would have been 1999 or whatever it was never like i've never cooked pineapple upside down pudding once but if in that class they told me how to make a stir fry or make a curry or a casserole or anything useful that would have been more help rather than bloody rock buns admittedly i have made them quite a few times because they are good but not pineapple upside down pudding no um waste of time yeah I, I cannot thank you enough for for sharing all the, the wisdom i hope people have kind of learned from that i think one bit i'll be taking away is the the acronym for the food avoid food avoidance diet yeah, it's not even mine <laughs> i know yeah but you can have it uh and then the, the the i think the big thing is with the menu of kind of like pick two out of the four i think that's a a, a useful tool for someone going out for a meal because it is one of those things that a lot of people are struggling with with probably going out for meals now with things opening back up and COVID on top of things but um scott where can people find out about yourself where can people work with you as well so two things i would say the first a lot of the habits i talked about were in the book that i did mention so if you jump on amazon or wherever just search for me uh, scott bapte or 101 ways to lose weight and never find it again that's my weight loss book um and also if you would uh, like to try some of my recipes you can get a free ebook if you just go on podcastgift.co.uk Awesome. So I'll put those, I'll put everything into that, into the, into the write-up. So guys, you can click on the links, you'll be directed to those sites. I'd highly recommend going on to get the, the, the ebook and I highly recommend to go and get the book and get the, the no BS approach and the, the actual educational approach. But Scott, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you, mate. Thanks for letting me uh, speak to you following.